This week, Three Sides of the Coin, we are joined by none other than the legendary Doug Odell, rock DJ extraordinaire from Detroit, Minneapolis, Cleveland, and man, the story he shares about the original four guys recording the Psycho Circus world premiere radio show, worth its weight in gold. This three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. You got Mike, you got Tommy, you got Mark. Let's make this really quick because we got an incredible interview coming up here uh, with somebody that all three of us grew up listening to. Um, I don't think there's any Kiss news happening. I don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to get the questions from from our fans of like, have I missed the announcement for another off the soundboard or box set? And I'm like, nope, it's gone awfully quiet about the off the soundboard and the box set. I don't don't that doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying it's been very quiet. Nothing's been talked about. Um. There is rumors I saw that Kiss might be stepping up and doing a second show in Australia. Mm. Because somebody else who is playing, and I, I'm probably getting this all wrong, like the Grand Prix or something like that over there, the artist that was supposed to play it has to back out and Kiss might step in and come over a few days earlier and play that as well as the show that they've already got announced. Hmm, interesting. Um, but other than Tommy, that, I don't you think say that you're supposed to do this. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think there's any other Kiss news that's out there. No, they're just maxing and relaxing because then they got uh, you know once once the tour the last leg starts it's going to start full bore. I think I think they're just kind of laying low right now. Yeah, so. yeah, they're just letting this machine run its course at this point. Yep. Um. All right, you know, and and real quick, Tommy, you don't have to read any comments, but I was just going to mention we did get some a lot of amazing comments about last week's episode about collecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I thought there was some great stuff, and and I just didn't think we'd have time today because of our our guest. But thank you guys for engaging with us, and I've, there's some really good stuff on there about you know people saying hey this is how i feel and there was one i was reading yeah. can't remember, that was talking about doing you know collecting howdy duty with his father and oh i love that comment yeah and, and i totally get it I, I totally get it it's just i think that that when you have people reaming you um some of it's truly they just don't understand but there's got to be something in their lives that they do that other people don't but some of it i think is just jealousy there's still a lot of people that are angry that you have some of the stuff that you have for whatever reason and oh and by so, the way mike mike noticed that what all i'm doing today is sitting on the opposite end of the table <laughs> like i was just like over? wait a second you're in a different part of the, the the kiss kiss room and he's like no i just went to the other side of the table yeah that's the pre-room this is no yeah, this, this is this is not the kiss room this is the this is the outside Out, of outer room the waiting yeah. room this is this where you you have to give a, a blood sample and and take an iq test and stuff before you actually get into get led into the next room yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know people were asking and they have forever I, 
you know, I, I, I had a couple really bad experiences when I kind of showed some of my the stuff inside my kiss room and some of the rare posters, one of which, which is an extremely rare poster, you know, I showed it on a Facebook thing that I did. Next thing I know, you know, people are trying to reproduce it. Fortunately, they couldn't. Is it the, but bus, like, the bus one? No, no, no that oh, one. Okay. well, that's one of them though. Too. Oh, okay. I just remember you mentioning that. Yeah. But, and I'm like, you know, out here is, and don't wrong, it's really cool. And by the way, you know, I, this is my man cave. This is my solace. And, and, you know, I was, I, 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 much like I was trying to say last week, you know, I, I've never thought of keeping score on this. Who cares? You know, it's just something that I like. Just like, I'm sure, like Mike said, just a few seconds ago, everybody does something that like makes them happy. They, some, some people did crossword puzzles. I mean, and again, there's, is whatever, I always love Frank Sinatra's line, whatever gets you through the night. And this is what gets me through the night. I love collecting kiss stuff. It's fun. It's never been a competition ever. It's something that I do that, you know, doesn't affect anything else. Um, you know, I, this is when this past weekend, my daughter got married and I didn't have to hot kiss stuff to pay for her wedding or any stuff like that. You know what I mean? This is, this is what I do. Yeah. This is what I do to have fun. Man. Yeah. They're there. Everybody collects something. Everybody. Maybe you've only got a collection of two items, but you collect something. And I just feel like, you know, it's nobody else's position to tell you what you should do to be happy. Because there's only there's only one person in the world who knows what will make you happy, and that's you. It's definitely not some anonymous troll on some message board who says that's terrible. Uh, you know, I I know it can be hard for some people to ignore it, but don't don't let don't they they have no they should have no ability to sway what you do. That's what it comes down to. If you makes you happy, just keep doing it, regardless of how much somebody's going to bitch and scream and cry and whine. Or because if we would have listened to anybody, we wouldn't still be doing this. Because oh, God, we, yes. We had more than our fair share of detractors. From, ep from episode number one, we have been constantly told how to do this better. We're out of ideas. What would make us happy? What would make them happy? We've ignored it for over 10 years. And trust me, sometimes it can be tough to ignore. But we've ignored it and we've continued to do what we like to do and what makes us happy. Thankfully, the vast majority of you out there are very happy. And that's what makes us the number one most popular KISS podcast on the Internet. I didn't, we aren't number one, are we? <laughs> Oh, Mark, Mark, Mark gets that. There's no proof. We're not number. I mean, Paul said it, but that doesn't mean that it's true that we are number one. He thinks we are, and he probably is right, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's just, oh, man. It's just poking oh, fun at the people. <laughs> yeah. Look at the time. Look at the time. Look at the time. Um, I'm all just right. Saying. So let, let, let's move on. 
today we have a guest, Dr. Detroit. <laughs> no, we are joined by legendary rock DJ Doug Podell, aka the Doc of Rock. The Doc of Rock, not Dr. Detroit, as Gene Simmons referred to him as. Sorry, Gene, you were wrong. Um, Doug Podell, obviously, you know, well known for decades in Detroit. Tommy and I have also listened to him in Minneapolis at KQRS. He, he also worked in Cleveland. Um, great discussion about radio. Incredible story he shares about going into the studio with the four original members to record the Psycho Circus world premiere radio show. You gotta hear this his description and and his comment about Ace. He also saw Kiss, who he didn't know anything about. 1974. Opening for Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Yeah. Never heard of the band, never seen the band, was blown away by the band. So we got we definitely got some great kiss stories and discussion going in here. Lots of good um, radio talk. Lots of great radio talk from somebody who's been doing it for decades and really understands rock radio. So let it roll, Doug Podell. Show. Visit three sides of the coin.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Hey, Three Sides fans. Uh, very, very excited for me personally, because uh, local legend and uh, incredible voice, incredible rock history knowledge, and especially a long relationship uh, with the band Kiss, which is obviously our focus all the time. But uh, as uh, regular viewers of our show know, we always dip our toes into every other sort of hard rock and heavy metal. And Doug has been there from the beginning. So the doc of rock himself, Mr. Doug Podell. Thank you, Doug. And and, Thank you. and le let me just add, this is quite an honor for myself and Tommy as well, because even though, Doug, you may be more uh, associated with Detroit, Tommy and I remember listening to you when you were the program director of KQRS in Minneapolis. So, you know, this is this is quite an honor. Well, KQRS, actually, I was the music director. Music director, okay. And uh, and Night Jock, 7 to Midnight. And I was only there for one year. But um, that city and that station had an impact on me. And I think I left a small impact on uh, Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul as well. Oh, uh, yeah. we, had, we had the TV show there called Twin City Beat, which uh, then, you know, one year later ended up here in Detroit as The Beat. And we showed a lot of Kiss videos. As a matter of we fact, did. Kiss actually showed up at uh, Channel 56 WTVS here in Detroit. Uh, they had them the, the, the makeup off at the time. And... Uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy and chaotic, from what I well, remember. Well, 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 Doug, how how far do you go back with Kiss? When was the first time you, not necessarily played Kiss, but when was the first time you either interviewed them or you know 
did something in concert with them? Well, it was uh, actually the very first time. It was all the way back to 1974. I think that was the year. I was an intern. It was a year before I actually got on the air at WABX. And uh, 99.5 here in Detroit. Legendary, historic, uh, progressive rock station. Mm -hmm. And they had the WABX kite-in. And then uh, that was on Belle Isle. And then they had a concert to follow at the Michigan Palace. And it was uh, the uh, Cat Mother and the All Night Newsboys who opened up. And then Kiss came on for the first time, I believe, in Detroit. It was. And then Aerosmith played. And I believe that was one of their first times if I'm not mistaken, in Detroit as well. And these were, you know, like we would have a bittersweet alley and adrenaline up there or something, you know, a couple of local bands. Um, You know, ABX brought in these two, you know, new groups uh, that hadn't made it at all, period, and uh, and showcased them for their birthday party. And, uh, you know, so we were able to see Kiss for the very first time. That was my first, that's my first recollection of them. Um, it wasn't until I got on the air 75 and then ultimately 76 that, uh, you know, I started to play Kiss and we played a lot of it in Detroit all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So, so in 74, when they did that show, had you seen Kiss before? Had you heard anything, read about anything? It was brand no. new to you. What no, was, so were, what was your first reaction when you saw what this band looked like? Well, I actually I actually looked over at my girlfriend, who's uh, my wife today still, and I just went, wow. I mean, uh, we were all there for Aerosmith, okay? Aerosmith was getting a lot of airplay with, um, uh, you know, Dream On and One Way Street and that first album, right? Uh, Kiss had not really become, you know, the Kiss of Detroit Rock City yet at all. So uh, this was, you know, our first time seeing them. And it wasn't that unusual at the time because, let's face it, there were there was, you know, Bowie starting to come out and T-Rex. So there were there were glam bands and they kind of got lumped into that, I think, a little bit at first because they were wearing makeup. But I just remember them being um, so good, so so energetic and pop rock, you know, and I love that, by the way. I love that genre. Um, So, you know, I just I just fell in love with that band, you know, the minute we saw them. I think they they I think what that's what Detroiters it's dug on our show you know for the last ten years and that's why I was so happy to hear what you said because it was you know it was so natural I tell these people here because we go worldwide just if you weren't here you don't quite understand how big a rock town this especially was back then you know at one point we had four rock stations rolling at one time and it was I mean. Every show is packed. There's a great quote in one of those uh, old WRAF books that, that you remember, the 1980 when Alice Cooper was just saying, 
you know, we were at Kobo, like Aerosmith was down the street, you know, yeah. this band was there and all of them were sold out. It was just what you did here. And what you just described, Doug, is Aerosmith, Kiss, bring them in. Well, we're going to see what they can do because these are the audiences, you know, as Bob Seger once said that these are the rock audiences. If, if you, if you can win these guys over, you're, you're, you're going to make it. And, and Aerosmith was another band much like Kiss and huge Jay Giles that before they were big nationally, they were big here. I mean, yeah. when I say big here, they're playing Cobo Hall where they were playing, you know, maybe a 3000 seater on the East coast or the West coast, not here, baby. We're playing Cobo Hall. Well, I think one of the things that really helped Detroit was that there was a great relationship between radio and the concert promoters. So the concert promoters right away knew that rock radio was going to help them. And you got to remember, nobody was doing this until then. So you really didn't know. It wasn't like the, the early 60s and 50s where the DJs came on and most of them put on these shows. This was just starting to roll out. And this model is still pretty much intact here in Detroit. We still have four classic rock stations or rock stations uh, in Detroit. And that's one of the reasons why I think the audience gets so familiar with everything so quickly here. Um, but we have our favorites and we have our non-favorites, okay? And uh, certainly... Kiss is at the top of that list. Aerosmith, Jay Giles, like you said, and a few others like uh, Leonard Skinnerd and and even back then Mountain. Uh, and I, and it had to do with the relationship between the personalities on the air and the personalities in the band. Uh, you don't have that opportunity today to bring in a young band like that, sit down with them for almost a half hour play their music, talk, find out where they were, when it happened for them, what's going to, you know, what their future looks like. You, you, you just don't have that opportunity anymore. So for young bands coming up, it's never going to be the same. And, uh, and Kiss, you know, and of course, Paul and Gene, they were so, they were, they were just so ready for this. You know what I mean? They, they knew how to manipulate the system and uh, and they were great guys on top of it and i really think that genuinely downright appreciated especially back then the love that the radio and the personalities on it and the city was giving uh to this band well and that's so one of the things that i miss too is, is i miss those days i miss the, the, what you did or do dj wise and and just having someone that you listen to every day, you know, that talks about the bands, that talks about the music, that just, I don't know, I miss that. Everything's so pre-programmed now. Radio is just not, yeah, it's but not it, what it used but, to be. But it, it, you know what? It, it's, not, uh, it's not radio's fault. No. It, I guess in a sense it is, but um, it's, it's the rating system that has caused this major disconnect between uh, the artist and the radio station, because we are now judged by a people meter, an electronic meter. And I could go on for an hour talking about that, and I'm not going to do it. But basically, it has put a major crimp in 
in just how long you can be on the air, you really find out what human behavior is all about. And um, it there's not a lot of attention span today. So nowadays what we do is we have podcasts, right? We talk to the artists and then we utilize sound clips from that uh, going into songs on the air. Even some stations uh, reject that, but at Wheels, um, I'm still given pretty much, uh, you know, the opportunity to talk to artists and then, you know, bring up, um, you know, certain facts um, and play them on the air. So, yeah, there is that, though. There's no question about it. It's changed, changed well, a lot. And, and what made me really realize it, because it's kind of like a small thing over time that goes away that you don't realize. I was in uh, Glacier National Park a week or so ago and I had satellite radio believe it or not I was listening to the 70s channel and there's a gal on there during the day Lisa something or other and all of the DJs on those different stations at least the ones I've listened to are kind of like how it used to be talking about different things in the music and fun facts and things and I just remember driving around the canyons going god I really miss this I really enjoyed to me that was a big piece of listening to the radio the experience of of knowing those djs and having them talk about you know current events or things that are happening in the city i don't know i i just it's a days gone by again you can't explain to grandpa ghosted on the porch and <laughs> no we talk about things what? that are happening uh but they're not rated okay right. uh their subscriptions actually are way down because you got to pay for it uh, but I guess you pay for what you get and, you know, yeah. you get a little extra when you pay for it. Um, but yeah, you know, satellite is not, they're not measured, so they don't have to no. worry. About no, well, which I, is... I tell you what, if, when I tell people, cause I'm very fortunate to travel a lot. If ever anyone finds out I'm from Detroit and if I talk to a fellow Michigander from out of town, <laughs> people like you, Doug, they still talk about you. They still, they ask about, you know, Arthur Penhall. They talk about, they just ask about all these great radio voices that I was very fortunate to grow up with. And it's those little things. And I don't know what it was like in Minnesota for you, you two, but Doug, you remember, especially Arthur P at five o'clock every Friday week, Ted Nugent's weekend warriors was played five o'clock every yeah. Friday for decades, decades. You yeah. know that he, and he would shout it's, the weekend and right that that started the weekend for everybody and i miss that i i wish we had that the djs were so important and it, and it, and it well, wasn't faceless i i think they still are i mean one of the unique things and i worked in cleveland and minneapolis so i can tell you that this is a very unique city detroit in that and I've and I've I've talked about this before, even at conventions, where Detroit radio is really centered around personalities, and that's why I am still on the air in Detroit. Um, because when they when you ask somebody what's your favorite station, they'll go, "Oh, Arthur Penhall on Riff," or they'll go, "Doug Podell on Wheels." Or they'll go Trudy Daniels and the Drew and Mike show. You know, uh, the personality always seemed to be slotted first, even before the call letters. I did, and I did an article once, and it came out. The headline was, um, 
Doug Podell, bigger than the call letters. And oh, yeah, there, I remember there, there, there is some truth to that in this town. Now, when I was in Cleveland, it was a little bit like that because Cleveland is a pretty good rock city for radio. But Minneapolis, I mean, outside of the morning show, nobody knew who the hell was on here, you know. So it it really was, um, you know, and is a different city and still is today. I mean, that's why you still have uh, major personalities um, that are aging <laughs> that uh, are still on the air here. You know, as, you as would a kid, never as have. A- you would never have anything like this in Florida. Okay. So, yeah. You know, as, as a kid growing up, I always looked at the DJs on radio as rock stars. They were rock stars to me. Um, you know, if, if you remember the Minnesota State Fair, you know, every radio station would go out to the State Fair in Minnesota and broadcast live for, what, a week, 10 days there. It was the coolest thing for me as a kid to go out there and actually see and meet the DJ. It, it was as important as meeting a musician or a band. And, and that goes to what you're talking about here, the personality. I don't think you can, you can't look at an on-air personality these days as a rock star if they have no personality. How do you connect? How do you get to know them? It's because, you know, I would work at night and every night coming home, I'd be listening to somebody on KQ. And it was that same, same DJ every night as I'm driving home from work. And, you know, they became part of your life. They became who you looked up to as a kid. And I think that is kind of what's also disappeared because for the most part, personalities have disappeared on on, yeah. on radio. Well, there's there's some truth to that. I mean, the world is a lot like McDonald's today, you know, and it's no different for radio. Uh, you know, we have people coming and going all the time now where it used to be when a young guy got a job at a station, whether it was in promotions or on air um, or even in sales. They were there for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You couldn't drag them out of there. Now we are constantly changing our passwords because they're firing people or they're quitting left and right. Right. So, I mean, you know, we get a new passcode and a week later we're getting a new one because some kid just quit and he was only there a week. And, um, you know, it, it, it has changed. Obviously, the medium has changed. Um, you know, so uh, we just keep fighting on. That's what we do here, especially in Detroit. And, uh, you know, so I much personally, so, so much, yeah, I, I personally so think so, that, that I was gonna say, you, Doug, you put your money where your mouth is. You just released, uh, uh, well, within the last year, a, a Motor City Rocks album. I mean, what other cities are putting out new music? Nobody, from yeah, as a matter bands? of fact. Get ready uh, because we're coming out with another one next week. And, uh, you know, I had to keep these under wrap uh, because the last time I did this in the 80s, my competitor, you know, copied me. So I kept it very secret. Uh, The first one that came out, uh, it was a reflection a little bit of what's going on right now 
musically in Detroit. This one uh, harkens back to no question the '80s. It is Bittersweet Alley, Adrenaline, the Cadillac Kids. Um, you know, Ted Nugent, Mark Farner. Um, you know, we have a song on it from uh, the 1987 WLLZ Whiplash Bash concert. Um, <laughs> so we are we are looking back at history here at the New Wheels and trying to recreate some of those, you know, crazy things that we did in the 80s. And the vinyl album was one of them. And we've got a second one coming out. I, honest to God, I, I really couldn't be more proud of these, especially, like you said, uh, right now, today. Because iHeartRadio, they, they see this. They see what we're doing in wheels. They've got, what, 200 classic rock stations? They could all be doing this. Yes. And nobody is, you know. So, I mean, Detroit is a special place. And I think that's why um, KISS really felt that this was Detroit Rock City because they saw things here that they didn't see anywhere else when it came to radio, promotion, and the audience. Yeah. Doug, Doug, let me ask you, you, you mentioned, you know, Detroit, Minneapolis, Cleveland. What do you think it is about the Midwest in general that is so embracing of rock? I mean, I, I again, growing up in Minneapolis, and, you know, this is way before the Internet, people, or satellite radio. But I was well aware of the great radio stations in Detroit. I was well aware of the great radio stations in St. Louis. There was markets that had great established rock radio. And it seems like the Midwest was such a, a hot the mecca. It really was. Yeah. Well, it really was. I mean, when you when you look at KQRS in Minneapolis, WMMS in Cleveland, uh, Riff and Wheels in Detroit, um, you're talking about some of the biggest rock stations there ever was. Right. So um, when you look at the East Coast and the West Coast, I can't even tell you the call letters of the New York rock station. I think it was Apple, W-A-P-P-L or something. And then you in in Los Angeles, there were a number of them. Uh, uh, K-L-O-S stands out still today. Um, But their interests on the East and the West Coast are completely different. Uh, the music that comes out of those areas are completely different. Um, so if you're a rock band in New York, you're gravitating to the Midwest. If you're a rock band in Los Angeles, you're gravitating to the Midwest because that's where the rock is. Indianapolis, they also had a long-standing heritage station. Milwaukee, uh, the same Chicago. thing. Chicago, Chicago, Chicago was never a big rock, uh, uh, rock town till the loop. And that was like the late 70s. Uh, But the loop was not about music. The loop was more about Steve Dahl and Sky Daniels and and big personalities, um, you know, presenting to you uh, the newest thing. But it was never. And look at Chicago today. It is a it is there is no rock there. I mean, that, that classic rock station there is a great station. Um, it has great ratings, but it really isn't, it, it isn't an innovator. 
You know what I mean? Right. And, right. Uh, and, and that's what we're trying to do now with the new wheels is, you know, we're not standing by and just doing what everybody else does. And, uh, you know, we're trying to actually, you know, do some of the things that we used to do that were, you know, now considered outrageous. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so so Doug, let's 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 circle back to some some kiss talk here. One of the things we've always talked about on this show, especially being kiss fans, is is how throughout kisses nearly 50 years now, it seems like radio, the 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 music community in general always look down their noses at kiss. Um, you know, it's like, oh. They're, they're not a real band. They wear makeup. They're all about a show. They're not real musicians. They're not Deep Purple. They're not Led Zeppelin. They're not, you know, rattle off all these bands. What, as somebody who was in the radio business, as you go, as you stated, from 74 when you first saw Kiss, what was your impression? How was Kiss viewed within the radio business? Well, within the radio business, and especially here in Detroit, I think they were viewed very highly mm-hmm. among the consultants of the radio business. They were not. So in a city like Detroit, as program director, you may have your consultant tell you, eh, you know, lick it up. I don't know about that song. You might not want to play that. You know, uh, we would in my opinion, uh, make our own decisions when it came to certain bands, Uh, certain bands like Bob Seger, who, um, whether or not he tested, you knew you were going to play him, whether or not uh, the Romantics tested, you were going to play them. And certainly whether or not Jay Giles tested, uh, you were going to play them and you were going to play Kiss. And uh, that was, I think that's the difference between a market like Detroit and and some program directors who were here um, that were different than other markets. Other markets, when the consultant says, no lick it up, that's no lick it up. Um, Here, we had room to wiggle. Um, and it started at the top with great general managers who allowed program directors to actually think and and innovate and do things. So, yeah, there may not have been a kiss had ABX not embraced them the way they did. And then follow up with all the other stations who knew that they better get on board or they're going to be left behind because the audience is telling you, we love these guys. Okay. That was right out of uh, Ken Sharp's book because he talked to the parentals. He talked to the people at ABX. Matter of fact, it's in his book where he's like, you know, kiss Detroit radio. Wasn't it? They, that was one of the reasons that they heard, you know, strutter on the radio. They heard kiss. And like Doug was saying, they, the powers that be at the at the radio station here saw the who were, who were putting feet in the seats as they say and you better play them you know and that's how again too and we were lucky man uh, go back we had uh, all the the live concerts you guys did with uh, 
you know, the local bands and the national accent. It was a, such a big deal here. I, I again, talking to people uh, through this podcast, they came. It's, it's nice having Doug on because verifying everything I've said here, guys, this this was just different here. And, and I want to say it was better. Well, well, I mean, take a look at take a look. I'm sorry, but uh, take oh. a look at the Tiger Stadium show in 96. <laughs> Uh, when they came back, was it 90? No, it's 96. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, You know, you're, you're filling up, you're filling up 40,000 seats in Detroit. Um, you know, and it was, it was a holiday. That's what it was. was, I mean, it was a holiday, you know, and, and that show I remember distinctly, uh, it was hot. It was muggy. Um, I'm backstage, you know, I'm trying to broadcast live, interview the band. Um, and, and they had such a great show, too. Uh, you know, they had Detroit's own Sponge opening up, who were just starting to take off. He had Alice in Chains up there uh, with Lane Staley, who was, you know, he did not look good then. And I think he died really only a couple of weeks later. If I'm not mistaken, I think he only did one or two shows after that and passed away uh, from Alice in Chains. So uh, that that show right there really solidified, I think, Kiss uh, for life in Detroit. There was no question. Um, You know, they went through a little, you know, up and down like every band did in the 80s, trying to recreate themselves and. and just trying to keep up with the industry itself. Um, hey, Doug, and you, the, guys, you guys broadcast the 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 w, WLZ broadcast the Animal Eye show the night of, which was the, a, a the, live broadcast. That was the sh- that was the show that ended up as the MTV concert as well, right? Yes that that would have been an eighty. Five, 84, 84. Well, I took yeah. over in 85. I don't remember that, but the program director that was just before me, Lee Arnold, he loved live broadcast. Yes. That so was, he that was, was all about it. And uh, yeah, I would not doubt the fact that, um, you know, I and, and that one I do not recall, but uh, we did a number of live broadcasts uh, from clubs from larger venues and from stadiums. Uh, so yeah, that, it doesn't surprise me at all. Well, uh, he I, was very, he was very innovative in that. I have a question from what you had said earlier about who makes the decisions. Is this as, is this is the type of thing that leads to a band being regional? Cause I'd like to use Jay Giles as an example. Okay. I know they were huge in Detroit. Mark has spoken of them many times and how they can sell out Pine Knob and all of that. From me living in Minneapolis, I knew the song Love Stinks, and I never heard from them again until Freeze Frame. So do you feel that because of the way that the powers that be would you know, make these different choices, they really can kill a band because to me, it's like, okay, well, if if Jay Giles is so freaking popular in Detroit that they can sell out Pine Knob, then obviously people like them. So you'd think that some of that would just wash into Minneapolis or St. Louis and go, hey, there's a band out of Detroit, Jay Giles. They have the one hit that most people know, but we should give them maybe a little bit more attention. 
Because maybe well, they would have been big here. In Detroit, they were bigger way before that album ever came mm-hmm. out. Understood. They but I'm saying that's sure, how yeah. little I know about them. They were big from the very first album, like in 1972. And one of the reasons is because Mark Perenno, who was a disc jockey at WABX, was from Boston. Yeah. And he knew, he knew Peter Wolf. And he knew um, uh, John, you know, from the band. So uh, he knew those guys. That was that would be like me being in Boston and seeing a band like The Look make, starting to make it big and me championing them in another city. And, uh, and you know, timing's everything, uh, but they used to pound the hell out of that first album and especially the live full house album. Uh, it just seemed to grow like, like a snowball going downhill. Um, but it took, it took somebody to take on that responsibility of making them happen here. Um, by the time centerfold and freeze frame and, you know, love stinks came around, they had already kind of, you know, been to the top of the mountain and now they're starting to come on down. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think in that regard, it was as much as, um, I don't know that they would have ever gotten past the Boston, uh, market had it not been for a personality like Mark who took them under their wing and just made them fly. You could uh, say the same thing about Aerosmith too here. Um, yes, you could. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and again, Tommy, Jay Giles just wouldn't sell out a night at Pine Knob. They'd sell out a week. Well, yeah. yeah, and that's kind of my point. So it's like, obviously, they have music that people like. Yet here I am, 12 hours from you, never heard of them before. And yeah. that, just, that whole thing has always been so strange to me because I, felt, I, I feel like how much other great music did I miss in my lifetime that other people like? Because well, it was Doug, original. here's another example. Doug, the Rockets, they, they'd sell out three, four nights back in the day. Right. It's a, it's a and they never made it. Yeah, they never made it anywhere else. And what about somebody great like Michael Stanley, who's two hours away in Cleveland, who who never made it either, uh, who had just phenomenal albums. I mean, he could have been Bruce Springsteen. Okay, and, you know, I mean, that's that's the music business. Right. I mean, uh, the it's regional the taste too. Yeah, Doug, 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 do you do you think in this day and age now that it's impossible for somebody at a station to champion a band and break them like that? Yes, yes, because we don't have any control like that anymore. Um, there are so many layers today that um, you know, in, unless the top guy is all about it. Uh, it's not going to happen. And nobody is looking to champion anybody anymore. They're just looking to find out who's making it on their own. And then we'll capitalize off of it. So there, there, there's, there's none of that anymore. There may be in some very small markets. There could be in some very large markets where one or two people are trying to do something but nothing's happened. No. 
No, it's just it's just totally different today. That's just unfortunate because it's even harder for me to keep track of music, you know, because when we were kids, you'd hear it on the radio or a friend would bring over a record and go, hey, you got to check these guys out. This is amazing. If that friend didn't bring the record over, I probably not might not have ever heard it before. And now it's like here's here's one of the things about that. And you mentioned satellite radio. Mm -hmm. They could be. They're not rated. Yeah. Okay, they're not, they're not being held back by anybody. You don't hear them champion anybody. They're just living off old radios. Uh, yeah. They're still playing Steve Miller. Yep. You know what I, I mean? I, you know, Doug, so, to, to, to you know, follow. You look, you look at satellite and you go, oh, yeah, satellite's doing that. Was that. Satellite ain't doing nothing. Okay? Right. They are capitalizing off of what was. Here's a, here's a perfect example for that. So I, I do marketing for bands and I'm constantly, you know, the bands are like, oh my God, can you please get us on, on satellite radio? They think that's their magic ticket to exploding. And, and I've talked to a couple, couple of the people over at satellite every once. So I'm like, what about this band? And they're like, no, we have to play what, and it sounds just like old school terrestrial radio used to be. Yeah. We have to play what the people want and yes. what they're co comfortable hearing. Well, we can't give them new stuff. We can't expose them to an unknown band. They want to hear Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction um, for the 10 millionth time. And I'm but like, there's a channel for that. It, and you know what? It's truer now than ever before. Oh, gosh, okay. yes. I mean, the research now shows basically... If you're not playing the hits, you're doomed. If you're not playing cold as ice a hundred times a week, you're not in the game. Okay. That's just how it is. Uh, people who have terrestrial radio, free radio, are people who just uh, gravitate to popular music. And it's even more so today than ever before, possibly because, yes, we're not giving them, uh, you know, anything other than steak and mashed potatoes every single day. Uh, they might want fried chicken, but we're not giving it to them. You know what I mean? So they don't know about it. But yeah, you're absolutely right on that. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no make, I mean, satellite isn't making anybody any money either. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Hey, Doug, uh, going back to kiss something that, uh, you did that was pretty cool and and it was one of the things when i was telling these guys i'm like you know doug you were chosen by gene and paul to do the psycho circus uh national radio show oh boy. i mean they had every dj in the, in the entire <laughs> Wait, country. don't remind me <laughs> so we yeah hey, hey hang on oh, i want to hear this yeah here we there go. You go yep yep world premiere broadcast I got one of so, them. <laughs> so they wanted they wanted somebody from Detroit. Um and they remembered me from um, you know, uh we had just recently uh done a promotion with them where I had a kiss pinball machine in my office. Somebody, some listener had given to me. And uh Gene and Paul were in for um a show or they were in for a promotional 
That's what they were. Gene and Paul came in to kind of prime the pump for that psycho circus, right? So they came in and uh, they they went on the air with Arthur Penhallow for four hours. Mm-hmm. And we decided to give away the pinball machine and we basically opened up the radio station door and let anybody line up, come in, get an autograph. And Gene and Paul for four hours sat there and would talk and sign and laugh and have a good time. And we gave away the pinball machine. So when it came time to do the uh, reunion, uh, they asked for Dr. You know, here's Gene. Yes. Uh, can we get can we get Dr. Detroit to come in? <laughs> yeah, I've never been called Dr. Detroit before, but God knows I'm I'm sure he remembers it from the movie, right? The movie. So, so um they flew me in to uh Los Angeles to some recording studio. I don't know, it was decked out in all leopard. Okay, it was top to bottom. It was leopard skin. So I arrived in La- and and I don't travel well, and I don't drive in car limos very well either. I get car sick, so I'm I'm kind of feeling my oats a little bit. It's like probably four or five o'clock in the afternoon. They don't even take me to the hotel. They take me right to the recording studio because. You know, we're going to start this thing like around seven o'clock and it was for Westwood one. And uh, the next day was the big concert at uh, Dodger Stadium. And this was going to be the pre-show warm up interview. So I get there about four o'clock. They got food. They got drinks. You know, I just kind of chilled out for a little while trying to get myself together. And then um you know, Paul kind of strolls on in and then Gene kind of strolled on in and then Chris, you know, Peter Chris uh, strolled on in. So it's, you know, we're, we're shooting the shit, you know, and talking and eating and uh, those guys are drinking wine a little bit and I'm trying to stay, you know, like sober and normal. Okay. Uh, I'm with my heroes, one. Uh, two, I'm trying to keep my, you know, composure because I'm about to do this thing, you know, for Westwood One, which I worked for Westwood One for 27 years. So I did a lot of concert stuff for them, no question. Um, so it's seven o'clock. It's eight o'clock. It's nine o'clock. And for me now, that's like midnight, right? And then it's 10 o'clock. And finally, three hours late, Ace Fraley shows up. I knew that's where this was leading. (laughs) Ace Fraley comes in. You know, he's had a few too many, to put it mildly. And he has two beautiful twin Swedish blondes on each arm. So, of course, everybody is like, you know, my God, where have you been? What, you know, but but at the same time, Paul and Gene are keeping their cool. Nobody's going to get mad at anybody. Nobody's yelling at anybody. Not not in public, not in public. I'm sure it happened later somewhere. uh, 
Well, we just accept the fact that, you know, Ace is three hours late, you know, but no problem. So we sit down and they're all on stools. I'm on a stool uh, facing them. They got cameras, lights, you know, the recordings going on. I asked my first question and Ace just blurts right in, you know, and it wasn't to Ace. It was like to Paul or Gene, right? And that went on for about a half hour. Every time we asked a question uh, to get a, you know, a simple answer, uh, it turned into a melee, you know. And they went along with it. Everybody's going along with everything, except for the producer for Westwood One, who's really getting pissed now. Because Doug, in my ear, he said, we have no content. We have nothing, you know. So... I look over at Gene and Paul and I go, well, you know, we've got to do something here, right? And uh, and, and Gene looked over at Ace and kind of, you know, just said, you know, you've got to chill out here. What's, we've got to get this done. Let's get this done. And Christ, it's like midnight now, right? <laughs> it's like four in the morning for me. I haven't even been to a hotel. I barely took a piss. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So uh, it, no sooner than we start up and Ace is right back at it. And I just looked over at, at Gene and Paul and I said, and I looked at Ace and I went, you know, Ace, I think I know why they threw you out of the band now. <laughs> <laughs> and we have been one, Ace and I have been friends ever since. But uh, it took, you know, Dad, Doug, uh, Dr. Detroit to finally settle the room down and get this thing going. And then we finished up and we went straight. But I think that that hit a nerve, no question. But God love him. I mean, we were all laughing our asses off that night. I mean, he was funnier in hell every time he burst in, you know. Oh, no, 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 Gene, I think it was more like this. <laughs> It, it it reminds me of that Tom Snyder interview they did where where Ace took over the Tom Snyder interview. Yeah, I I, I think uh, I, I probably should have just started with Ace. That might have helped, you know what I mean? But um, my focus at the time uh, in my notes was, you know, Gene, Paul, Ace, and, you know, occasionally we got to Peter. I don't even think we got to Peter. Uh, you know, poor guy. But uh, yeah, that was quite the uh, that was quite the kiss story, and um, you know I've never forgotten that one. That's for sure. But, is, is, uh, is is the raw recording of that somewhere to be found? Uh, well, no, I don't have it. You know, all <laughs> I got is this, uh, and then I got the live broadcast of the show that they did from Westwood One the next day from Dodger Stadium, which I didn't even stay for. I went home on the next flight the next day. So I didn't even get to stay for the concert, but I saw him here, you know. Uh, but uh, so, so later, there's a good story. So years later, I don't know what this was. It could have been 2015, maybe. They played Saginaw. I told my wife, we're going to Saginaw. We're going to go see Kiss. It's a small arena, too. Yeah, I was there. Uh, so there was a meet and greet. We went to it. 
So I went to Gene. I went, Gene, Doug Podell, remember uh, we did that live broadcast in Los Angeles? You were calling me Dr. Detroit the whole time. <laughs> and he goes, no. <laughs> I looked at my wife. I went, he, he is he kidding me or what, you know? And, and then somebody told me, well, he does that to everybody, but um, I don't know. <laughs> he may not have remembered. <laughs> and God. Paul just put his hand on my shoulder and said, let's take this picture. And that was it. You know? So yeah, they didn't remember Dr. Detroit at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we saw Ace here recently and uh, he was great. Uh, first off, Man, I'll tell you, he's, his, his solo show is damn good. Um, he's got some great players with him, too. Uh, he really so, does. That was a, that was a good show the last At the Token. Yeah. yeah, he was here at the Token. Yeah, I mean, uh, they had to move every chair. I think they had to move the urinals out of there because there were so many people. Uh, they put oh, 600 people in it. Oversold. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been a little. <laughs> Just a little bit. Well, it but, looks like uh, his numbers have been great lately from what I've been seeing. <clears throat> you know. Yeah, Why well, his... And the albums he's putting, putting out are great, too. I love the cover songs. I mean... Are you kidding me? They're fantastic. So, um, you know, those would have been songs probably that might have got airplay back in the day, too. I don't think they saw the light of day, but um, that's, they're good that's records. Gotta be that's got to be, you know, Doug, because I know you're, you're close to Ted as well, too. I mean, that's the that's frustrating when some of these classic artists release oh. new music and it's just so hard to get it heard. You know? I know we used to have a feature called yesterday and today, um, but it lost its steam because, you know, you look at the meters and the yesterday song does well today. Boom. There it goes. So the piece I don't understand though, about everything that's going on to your point earlier, Doug is look, I love all types of different music and there are certain bands or artists or uh, some of their releases that I just never get tired of hearing, but I still listen to other music and I just don't understand like with a lot of these cover bands. Now it doesn't matter. Like at least in the twin cities, there's maybe 10 cover bands playing tonight, nine of the 10, if not 10 of the 10 will be playing the same 15 to 20 songs. So are those people that aren't really interested in music and they just want to go out and drink and party and they want familiar music or what has led to that phenomenon? Like you'd said with, uh, you know, satellite, just kind of living off the past. There's just, you'd think there'd still be people out here that love music that want it. Cause there's so many great new bands that I, I see all the time that put out some really good stuff. It, it just gets ignored. Well, Tommy, you are what we call, a music freak and there is no space for you yeah <laughs> you're no, not worried you're you have I no value to radio tommy you right. have no value right 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 um i i mean guys like us of course we love music we love it all yeah. how could we not yeah. um I mean, I'm going to tell you, the Black Crows would have a tough time getting airplay right now. Right, okay? which is sad. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to change it now. I mean, I know, you know, 
when I was programming, we were always looking for ways to uh, push the envelope, whether it was local music shows or video shows or a feature like yesterday and today that maybe we would actually do on a weekend that would be like 20 new songs, you know, like, like, like uh, Tom Petty uh, yesterday and today or something like that. Yeah, mix them together. But, you know? uh, but that just, I mean, the more you whittle it down, uh, the tighter it is. Is, well, is, you know, is Part of it though, is that the new gen, the younger generation yes, isn't yeah. growing up with the radio the way we did radio was Correct. such a big part of our lives and we hung on everything you guys said and like you said you know here we're always flipping between the, the stations you know trying to if there was a new you know whatever led zeppelin song coming out and i just throwing out a band name but you know what i mean you're like you couldn't wait you know to to, to who was going to play it first and 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 all that kind of stuff. It was just exciting. And and were they going to play it? Uh, you know, were they going to play it at the palace, or were, or were they going to go old school and play at Kobo, or wait for summer to come and play at Pine Knob? It was just such a great time to be alive. It was for a music fan. Yeah, and but just, but but Mark, radio back then, really only competition to radio was the station across town. Radio didn't have competition. First of all, from streaming services, it didn't have competition from the Internet, didn't have, you know, even before MTV, before MTV was around, radio was the only place you could get music and hear music unless you bought the album and brought it home. And I think there's something to be said. We're now in a generation where a lot of younger people have no need for cars. They don't need to own a car. Where do you listen? Where did you listen to a lot of your radio? In your car all the time. If yeah, you're not car, in a car, my car has no, no CD player. It has no cassette player. Um, you know, so you're you're either with Sirius or you're with your radio or now CarPlay and all these things that they have. But you're absolutely right. More and more things got in the way of straight up radio um we've been able to compete with them all i mean let's face it we used to compete with the you know cassette player in the eight track but um and people found ways to get their music that way but it is different it is free radio uh you just have to understand the demographic and um and the people who uh, are listening to free radio, this is this is what they want. This is this is what they've told us. They we may we may have had it wrong for a long time, uh, but they put up with it uh, because they How measured so? you. They measured you with their heart and their head. So whether or not you played their favorite song. I might be their favorite disc jockey. They, we may play their favorite bands a lot. We may do some things out there promotionally that they enjoyed, but not every minute of the day did they like us. But right. when they went down to write about it and fill it out, 
they would go, well, my favorite station is, and, you know, well, that doesn't happen anymore. It's all electronically devised. So whether or not you like a station or the music that it plays, when you walk into a store and it's playing some AC, hot AC station with Taylor Swift on it, and you're going, I hate this, you're also giving them at the same time ratings, whether you like it or not, because that meter is picking up that station in that store whether you go into a liquor store or a lube store, you know, to get your oil changed, what they're listening to, you're now listening to, or at least your meter is, and it's giving them credit. And that is a big difference. Uh, It's called phantom cue. And that is a big difference between your heart and your electronic meter. That electronic meter could care less about Doug Podell and what he did for you last year. All it knows is that you're listening to him or you're not. And that's what gets rated. It takes all the emotion and personality out of it. It's It's just a track is playing and a track is not playing. Correct. I've been at concerts and this is kind of what I'm talking about. And Doug, you're the perfect example because I've seen you at a billion shows. People are always to this day still coming up to you to talk to you about music and radio. That just goes to show just how important that job was back in the day to so many people. And the fact that even like, you know, I'm a huge matter of fact, I've been bugging Drew to come on this show um uh with emails because i you know tommy's a huge beatles fan as i know you are and uh you know just just to talk uh you know about the, the beetle wall yes those are my beetle autographs behind me <laughs> so you know just still to this day how important all that stuff is matter of fact uh, you know trudy still does drew's podcast and i i listen every day absolutely right. love it it's in, you know, in her show and, you know, on Saturdays on WLZ, you know, Drew and Mike are, are, are Drew, obviously Mike's unfortunately passed, but again, it was just, it was, those are just great memories from, for everybody that was, you know, around this area. And, um, you know, and well, I, we're sure still that- a lot of us, and we're still very passionate about the music, the audience, the promotions, everything we do. But there are a lot of people coming up behind me that are not. They're they're working. This is a job. They're 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 following all the rules. They're doing all the things that uh, they're being told to do, and they're um, fulfilling a mission. My mission is different. Um, I'm in there pushing the envelope as much as I can. Um, trying to say what I want uh, and influence them as much as I can as to what I can play. But don't you see that, that be that unfortunately, and I I would say this is nationwide, um, the ability to say what you want to say is shrinking publicly because 
because of things like the internet, someone cannot wait. It's funny. It's, a, it's something that Drew touches on all the time. The tattletales, they cannot wait. If you say even one thing that someone perceives wrong, they want to go straight to the top and I don't know, virtue signal and pretend that they did something. Um, you know, that that's tough, man. Look at look at, you know, you were talking earlier and I mean, I didn't I grew up here, but someone like Steve Dahl and for what it's worth, you know, Howard Stern, too. These people could say anything and it and it worked now. The censorship is is well, yeah, there's no question that the censorship is is much more uh aggressive than it was um back then i mean there it certainly was then but the fines were nowhere near what it is now 250 dollars is not 250,000 and 250,000 later is not a million point two so you can't walk in there uh do your thing and lay a million point two fine on your station and expect to still be working the next day when it was 250 dollars yeah, you get a slap on the wrist maybe don't do it again okay but yeah so hey, everything hey, Doug, how many how it. many times songs <laughs> like who are you when they said who the fuck are you um uh problem child uh acdc you'd say fuck this at the beginning Everybody wants some at the end. David go, you know, pay you for it. What the fuck? Did you guys ever get fined for that? Or, or at that point, was it the 250 and you just didn't care? Well, um, we might have once or twice, but basically the community standard then was different than today. Um, you heard that in a song. You didn't think about it twice, really. Um, now, it's like, oh, dear God, you know, you just committed, you know, a cardinal sin and you should be shot and go to hell. Yeah, so, that, because I even remember the, the first time that I heard because, you know, all the stations are rock stations here because Bob Sear does just an, an, an incredible version of Nutbush City Limit. And, and forever, the radio here would say, you know, I knew shit. I knew that for 10 years, the middle of that part of it. The, and then I remember sometime. I was in the late eighties or something. I'm like, that just got Nin bleep. about 1990. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, it, you had that? to really edit everything. Um, and, and that still stands today and even more so, I mean, you really, uh, a, a company like iHeartRadio doesn't want to have a fine period, whether it's 250 bucks or 1.2 million. They just, they just won't accept that. Um, there's too many protocols nowadays to stop that. So you should be ashamed of yourself if you let it fly. And again, uh, the community standards, uh, that is the public saying to you, oh, we're not calling in. We don't, we don't care. And nowadays, uh, the instant you play, and here's a good one, uh, which isn't really illegal. Uh, and I, you know, when I was managing Howard Stern for those years in Cleveland, um, I had a saying. If it's illegal, I will deal with it. If it's immoral, we let it go. But uh, because I had Howard and I became a lawyer, okay? I had Howard for <laughs> four years in Cleveland and I became a goddamn lawyer because uh, I had a TV camera in my face every day about what was said or being done. And, you know, eventually he had to move on from terrestrial radio to, to satellite in order to keep going. 
um, because the fines and, uh, you know, the, the, the gig was up, so to speak. But, um, you know, uh, money for nothing and using the word faggot in there, mm-hmm. uh, that really is offensive to people today. And whether it's illegal or immoral, you have to take it out because you're just you're just opening yourself up for uh, a whole lot of whooping. So uh, the best thing to do is just, you know, to take that out of there and and let it fly. Now, you don't have to. And for many years, we didn't. And we put up with the guff on the end of the line. Um, but eventually it just becomes too much and you have to. Doug, you know, as we, we talked a little bit ago about radio and competition has changed over the years. Do you think in this day and age, radio, free radio can compete with streaming services when it comes to the music? Because, and, 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 and where I'm coming from is, as a music fan and as somebody who loves radio, I also know that I'm never going to hear the deep cuts of any of my favorite bands on, on radio, but I can get them instantly delivered to me on a streaming service and to, and extending that, that streaming service can also have all their algorithms and stuff expose me to new music and new bands that I had, would have never thought to look for. So does that, does that almost draw the line for radio of like, we can never compete. So why even try competing with them musically? Well, we're not trying to compete musically with anybody. Okay. We're trying to compete with money wise and advertisement wise. That's where the competition is. Um, Musically, you play what is researched for your audience. Um, to me, Spotify is no different than a cassette player 30 years ago. You could have made up your own cassette with all Mixed your favorite tapes. songs, put it in your car, and never heard me the whole way home. Okay? So we don't compete with that. Um, we've competed with other mediums forever. What you don't get on your cassette is information about the Ted Nugent show on Friday. Personality. About um, the podcast that I just did with uh, Ted Nugent. And here's a clip from that. And here's a song. Um, We do have a feature actually on wheels called Deep Cuts. And we feature Deep Cuts throughout the day of songs. uh, In our instance, that had some heritage with the original wheels like today i played shooting star last chance Mm -hmm. you ain't gonna hear that on the other stations okay the other day i played say what you will by Fastway. you're not gonna hear that on my competition um and trudy has them and casey has them as well and he has maximum metallica where you're not gonna hear that stuff on another station. So as a young, you know, news station in the market trying to squeeze in between Riff, CSX, and OMC, we are branching out. We are taking some chances 
Um, and we're doing guys- it through our personalities and our music. But basically, we are competing for dollars. We are competing for advertisers. And ever since the pandemic, that has become even harder than you could ever imagine. And we're a business, flat out. We're not a jukebox. If we could get people to put money into us all day, we wouldn't have to play commercials like satellite. But we don't. We have to compete. And and advertisers who used to buy the top 10 and then the top five only buy the top three today. So, yeah, it, you're competing Doug, to stay alive. Can you can you clarify what that meant? Top 10, top five, top three. What are you saying? Well, whether you're rated in the top 10. Top three stations, top in, in a market. Stations. So really, the only number that matters, period, and I don't care what program director you're talking to, it's 2554. Whether you're a team station or you're a classic rock station, your number comes within 25 to 54. That's where you have to compete. That's where the sales advertisers and representatives are looking for the station with the biggest number, the biggest reach, 25 to 54. So you could be number one, six plus, and they're not, they're looking at it, but they ain't buying it. What they're looking at is 25 to 54. Who's number one through 10? That was 10 years ago. Recently, it used to be one through five. Since COVID, it's one through three. Because these people only have so much money. There are fewer advertisers than ever before, especially locally. So we go out and we try to do everything we can to massage them, to help them, to brand them, to lower our price for them so that we can get them back on track. Uh, uh, Radio listening audiences have changed since the pandemic. It used to be that your morning show was your most listened to day part. Well, now it's not. It's middays because nobody gets up to go to work anymore. They're not in their car anymore. I mean, they are, but heck, okay. So your well, your day really starts at 9 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. like it used to, and it ends around 4 or 5 o'clock. You don't see the kind of cars you used to see at 6 o'clock going home. That's happening at 3 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. True. And I suppose then you can mix in on top of that uh, stations that are popular in that demographic that are sports or something else, because like here in town in Minneapolis or news, I mean, yeah. when you've got power outages, when you've got storms, when you've got floods, when you've got the lions, yeah, tigers, you got sports and yeah. you got news. So, yeah, you're you're competing uh, not with just music, you're competing with everything on the diet. Yeah, that's got to be so much harder because One of it's so much harder. Yeah, I tell you what, one of the things that really does help LLZ stand out, you guys are you guys are still pumping out TV commercials. Your competitors don't. I mean, that ought to show your advertisers how much you care. I mean, you guys are doing everything. 
Well, I know what our competitors are thinking. We're heritage. We don't have to. We've been around 50 years. We've been around 35 years. Uh, you know, we've been around five. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we do have to fight uphill a little bit. And I was very pleased to uh, be a part of those commercials here recently. Um, and it is. It's iHeartRadio taking a look at the market and going, you know, what can we do? I mean, it used to be that you put up a few billboards and you actually got ratings out of that. But not today. Not with these digital boards. They're only up there for 10, 15 seconds. So while they're useful for branding, they're not going to they're not going to get you a number. So, um, you know, we're going to find out if these TV commercials are helping. I think they are. They they certainly look great. And um, and we have seen a nice uptick at wheels uh, over the past seven months. And we've seen a decline in our competitor at the same time. So there are correlations to that. There are correlations to uh, our research, which I really think radio today really relies upon more than ever before. Um, I remember our research department made up of like eight or nine 18-year-olds that used to sit in the back room and smoke <laughs> weed more than they would call people <laughs> and, uh, and get the information. And whether or not that information was actually accurate or not, you know, is questionable. You have accurate information today of the most impeccable kind. Uh, and when you see it, you can't um, you can't disown it. You have to embrace it and you have to accept it and you have to follow. It. So if it says, you know, um, your personalities are all talking too much, you have to shut them up. Uh, you've got to do that. You know what I mean? You've got to work on that. You've got to find a way. And, and it's up to us, really, if we're smart enough to be able to, to deliver that message succinctly to the audience in a short amount of time that they want to spend with you. Um, it's gone from somewhere to a minute to 30 seconds to 24 seconds to 17 seconds down to about eight seconds. Um, I'm not saying that every time I pop the mic, it's eight seconds, because basically that's my name in the call letters. But um, you have to realize that somewhere around 8.9 seconds, you're starting to lose them. So do you want to keep on going or do you want to, you know, move on? So, um, well, KISS will be here, what, October 20th? I'm sure uh, wheels will uh, be. Uh, oh, yeah. We'll be there broadcasting all, all over that. Uh, do you have any other uh, kiss anecdotes or stories or anything that sticks out from uh, maybe when they were at the Olympia or at the Silverdome with Cheap Trick or, uh, you know, or anything, anything through the 80s at, at Cobo Hall and uh, just well, any other? Not really. I mean, as a program director uh, during that period, um, I used to send a lot of jocks out to do stuff. I didn't do everything myself. Um, but, you know, um, I, I think those stories that, uh, especially the Psycho Circus and, uh, and when they came to Channel 56, 
those are some memories that I have that I'll never forget about those guys. You know, I mean, just going to see them in concert. I mean, how many have I seen? 40? I don't know. You know what I, mean? I didn't always go backstage. Um, you know, sometimes it was almost too much. You know what I mean? To deal with. Well, so, one of the things, um, Doug, Doug, and just, 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 I always loved the fact because I'd always see you at shows. And I remember the first time Metallica, I ever heard him on the radio, you played them. And this no, is on Ride the Lightning. I yeah. mean, it, it's it's like you really had your finger on the pulse of what, the, you know, people back then were listening to. I, and also, too, the, the metal shows you had and the local, especially the local shows with Seduce and the Almighty Strut and all these just great bands that you championed over the years and i mean also too i mean one and unfortunately i hate when this happens you just got to start talking politics but the first time i ever heard kid rock on the radio was you i think uh playing like bull god i mean stuff like yeah. that you're like you didn't care that it that it was crossing over you're like this is good i'm gonna play this and and that's what's well, my, my, my quick kid rock story is, is in the 80s at Wheels, he used to come to the back door, him and Joe C, and uh, drop off cassette or hand them to people or myself. And, uh, you know, we used to talk about uh, music being uh, behind the train, ahead of the train, or on the train. And radio is always looking for music that's on the train. And I always used to say to, to, to Kid Rock, um, the music's good, but it's ahead of the train. Um, so when we when I when I went through Cleveland and finally got back to Detroit in '95, uh, the Bull Guy, you know, the uh, the Devil Without a Cause album came out, and uh, and Kid Rock came in to see Drew and Mike. And uh, I followed Drew and Mike at that time doing middays. So I walked in and um, I had the bull guide 12 inch under my arm. And I had decided that I loved this song. It's not even a song today that stood the test of time with him himself. But I loved it. Um, so I walked in on my knees I begged forgiveness for all the years that I turned him down and didn't play his music as program director at Wheels. And that, guess what? We just added Bull God, and we were the first in the country to play that song. Uh, not everybody in the building or outside of the building wanted me to play that song. I can tell you that. Uh, but we did. And uh, that was just me. Uh, I suppose I'm maybe one of the last of the Mohicans when it comes to things like metal shows. I was very happy to see that uh, recently here, um, my competitor, my old station, Riff, put on my old local show and my old metal show again, brought him back. Um, you know, I was the one who brought House of Hair there. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I guess I had the privilege and I was honored to be able to take uh, my own musical feelings uh, about Detroit and about music and and apply it to the city and to the airwaves. And thank God it worked. <laughs> hey, before before we let you go and before we wrap up now, this is 
podcast for one. This is just, Doug, I'm a huge fan of the ghoul. You, how did you get, you know, before Ron passed away, you were pretty close to Murray. I got to know him pretty yes. close. Yes, I was. Well, it's a sad thing even to this day to talk about because he left way too soon. Oh um, I met him originally here in Detroit through some friends. Um, used to promote him when he would come in. Well, I was a big fan, of course, you know, growing up. Um, and then, you know, got to meet him uh, a number of times. And then uh, he started coming back. I actually uh, was on his show once uh, as a celebrity DJ. Uh, I had a part in a bathroom where I was uh, <laughs> coming out of the bathroom and he was going in. But um, he, uh, well, I uh, when I moved to Cleveland too, um, I hired him for my station there. So at WNCX. So he was there, you know, doing uh, a Saturday night show, a classic rock ghoul show with Mr. Classic. And, um, you know, when he would come to Detroit, uh, my friend Bill Miller, who was the promoter of his shows, would always call me to come promote them and NMC uh, them. And, uh, you know, we just became close friends with his wife and himself. And, uh, and uh, you know, that went on for you know, close to 30 years. So, you know, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty sad when we lost him. And uh, we did a lot together. There's no question about that. So, yeah, always. Uh, again, if you grew up in this area or Cleveland, I guess it was it was on in Boston too. But and, and if anyone doesn't know, just go to YouTube and look up some. Oh yeah, cool. I mean, that was yeah. some off the. I mean, this is long before there was YouTube videos or anything. This this was shit. That shit was just well, funny. the late night TV host. You know what I yes. mean? Uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun and. Uh, and we were we were pretty pretty privileged to uh, be a part of that. Um, we helped them get that show back here in Detroit for a while. Oh yeah, I, I was and, watching. Uh, and yeah, 20. and uh, then uh, I had a show on Comcast called Rock Nine Hundred. It was on uh, the Comcast Channel Nine Hundred, and uh, I had brought them on for that too. For I would bring them back, you know, for Halloween, you know. And uh, he would blow stuff up in the studio. Oh, and uh, sh you know. again, shit that you couldn't do now. Um, the closest thing now to that is like a Spengoolie, but it's so much more camped down than what. Uh, yeah, than what, yeah, Spengoolie, uh, he, he, he definitely knew the ghoul and honors him. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah, there's no question about it. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up here. I know I'm going to see you Friday at uh, Freedom Hill. You're going to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I definitely. <laughs> My man yeah. right there. No doubt. So uh, looking uh, looking forward to seeing you then. Man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your this kiss was a, stories. This was a real honor, Doug. Somebody oh, like I, you. I, I mean, thank you. You, you. You've heard it before, I'm sure, but you're a legend in rock radio. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, I, I'm, I'm hearing that a little more these days. I'm starting to feel like Arthur Penn Hollow, to tell you the truth. <laughs> well, you've entertained all three of us. Art. Everywhere I used to go with art. It was always, man, Doug, he's a legend. He's a legend. And and now I guess I've I've kind of filled that uh that void of legendariness. Um, but I certainly appreciate that. You know, I 
I always wanted to be in radio from the time I was like nine years old. My aunt used to say, Douglas, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a disc jockey. People would laugh. And, you know, um, I was I was so lucky. Uh, I was at W.A.Y.N. Wayne State University when Chuck Santoni mm. was there and he came in and he said, Doug, I just got a part time job at ABX and they're looking for one more guy. Uh, one to six in the morning, I gave him your name. Uh, so I worked on my tape. I took it down to ABX, the the old David Stott building, and Ken Calvert, oh who later God. I became his boss, uh, was the program director. And I dropped it off, and uh, it was like um, uh, Thursday. I dropped it off on a Monday. I called on Thursday. I said, yeah, I'm Doug Podell. I dropped my tape off. He goes, yeah, we've been trying to get a hold of you all week. He goes, you start Saturday. And uh, <laughs> I've never looked back. Good for you. Uh, it's it's, it's awesome. funny. Um, real quick, did what, did you see the Cream documentary? Yes. Yeah. What'd you think? Because I really thought they captured Detroit really, really well on that. I mean, you lived through a lot of that. Too. Oh, yeah. Well, that was just slightly a little bit. Uh, uh, before my time, but I knew the guys and I knew the players, uh, you know, later, obviously, but, uh, yeah, cream was a big part of the beat for a long time. The last mm -hmm. few years of the beat, we did the cream rock report. So, um, you know, yeah, definitely cream magazine made an impact here. It made a bigger impact. I think on guys like Dan Carlisle and Jerry Lubin and Dave Dixon and Mark Pereno. Um, I think I was so privileged to not only grow up listening to them, but then being able to work for them. Um, and for guys like Al Wilson, who I still see today, um, who was my general manager, who gave me that shot. Um, when, you know, I mean... It could have been anybody, right? But I got that shot. But watching those guys work, being there, being there the day Steve Dahl in the morning decided to do his impersonations of Popeye and seeing him turn his head and talk to the window instead of the microphone and do all these things. Um, and then obviously working with people like Howard in Detroit at W4 and then him, you know, asking for me later when I was in Cleveland to come manage that station. I mean, I've had a lot of privileges in my life and I don't take them lightly. That's for sure. Uh, a lot of people say, Doug, you should do a, a book. I, I don't yeah. know that I could do a book. I don't remember everything, but I'll tell you one book would be great. Would be that Howard Stern book. That would be huge. Yeah. Never know. Someday we may have Someday. to talk about that. Yeah, never say never. <laughs> never well, say when never. you're when when you're ready to promote your book, you give us. Oh, a call. okay. All right. Yeah. Well, definitely that uh, Ace Fraley story will be in it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Doug, again, this love has you, been a Ace. I love you, Ace. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> this has been an honor doug this has been a real privilege um all right. you know we all three of us grew up listening to you so yeah. 
Thank you guys so much. Thank, I appreciate thank, thank you, Doug. Thank you so uh, much. And Doug, anything you want to plug before you're gone? Uh, well, the new Motor City Rocks album is coming out go. next week. So there you go. Okay. It's got Mark Farner and Ted Nugent on it. Rhythm Core. It's a great. It's going to be a great album. Perfect. Cool. Everybody go out and get a copy. Yep. Thank right. you, Doug. All the best. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye, Doug. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. I love, love, love conversations like that. It's, it's, it's the music business. It's radio. It's about Kiss. And, you know, it's Doug Podell, somebody I, I distinctly remember listening to in Minneapolis and watching him on, on TV. Well, and also, too, I, I wish that we could do a better job than we do of helping people understand how it felt growing up in that time period. So hopefully at least a percentage of you that listen to this show can better understand the importance of radio and how big of a deal it was when we were growing up versus what's going on now. I got uh, a question for you two, and I, and I mean this 100% heartfelt. Here in Detroit, like Doug just said, and, and uh, we're talking about Jay Giles, who, again, it, you know, after the MTV hits, but they would, and keep in mind, this is stuff that Kiss in their heyday didn't do. They would play a week at Pine Knot. That's 15,000 seats right. a night for right. a week. Um. Did you guys in Minneapolis have a local band or even a, a national band that's not from Minnesota that could pull those kind of numbers? Because also the Rockets, you guys remember Kiss fans, the Rockets opened for Kiss on the Alive 2 tour. Mm -hmm. Not the same Rockettes that were at the, the, the one in, in uh, 1980. No, this is different. This is the Rockets. And uh, some of you guys would know that they did that cover of Oh Well can't help about the shape I'm in. I can't sing. I ain't pretty in my legs. Yeah. That's a Fleetwood Mac song. But um, the Rockets, you know, released their own version of it. And it made a lot of national airplay. And again, they toured with Kiss on the Alive 2 tour. So they would, I remember one time them playing three or four nights at, at Pine Knob 2. And again, you know, you're talking over a four night time. You're talking at 60,000 people or 60,000 tickets. Did you guys have that? In, I don't, in I'm trying to think. No, I don't, I don't No, I don't think of, I can't think of any band that would come in and would sell out the Met Center or the St. Paul Civic Center multiple times. The first time I, mean, I saw it was Motley Crue Girls, Girls, Girls tour with, um, white snake they did two nights at the two, Met. two nights and then def leopard for hysteria came and they did three nights and i remember after... I, I remember um sticks doing three nights for the paradise theater tour okay so that but, could, but but right. but but that was when sticks was big everywhere yeah I, that's right. what i was talking about that's kind of what i was that's that's that it the power of detroit radio right you know uh, now this is again well, the live album he's talking about, the the, the uh, Blow Your Face Out, I think that came out in 76 or 77. They, you know, this is long before Freeze Frame, long, long right. before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was partially recorded at Cobo Hall. I mean, I, 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 can, I can reiterate what Tommy said. When it came to Jay Giles, yeah, I, I remember hearing Love Stinks, but then it wasn't until um, Freeze Frame, the album, came out that they were everywhere. They exploded that all of a sudden then Jay Giles sold out the Met Center on the Freeze Frame tour. Right. But that's because everybody knew them from MTV. Mm-hmm. Freeze frame to 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 Jay Giles is what I was made for loving you is to kiss. Right, right. Where right. It, oh yeah. It, 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 if you go back before that, you know, where a lot of because there was a lot of fans here that went, that's that freeze frame thing, that's not Jay Giles, you know. Jay Giles right. was, you know, nothing but. Oh yeah, no, I've, I and, I remember hearing people and, comment and, that way, and and all that, you know, and it, and is it again just growing up as a Detroit music fan? You 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 think that's like that everywhere because you don't know right? Better. Yeah, no, right, right. And, and, and with it, the section of that handful of people we mentioned, that's about it. And then I remember when I want to say it was Garth Brooks played the Metrodome six or seven nights in a yeah, row yeah but but that was when garth brooks was understood but every, I mean, everywhere right but that's literally how few and far between the only thing we had regionally is maybe we had certain artists that were more local that could fill a bar well yeah you know, i mean or, we, we we had we had some strong local artists yeah that could fill a bar or a theater um i was also going to say you know doug mentioned shooting star i mean they were regionally Big heavy airplay on the radio. They didn't sell out shows, but you couldn't turn on KQRS without hearing Shooting Star. At we some got point a lot of Shooting Star here in Detroit. Uh, that was big. Hang on for your life was yep. yeah. Was hang on here. for your life uh, was Hollywood was, was big yep. here. Um, yep. Yeah, April I mean, Wine. April Wine is another band that that was big on the radio. But Thirty Eight Special. I, I yeah. only remember like April Wine on tour opening for REO and stuff, not I on like their own. Rock. I like to rock. So yeah, I mean, Detroit is definitely unique in all aspects, and the fact that that it still has uniqueness in radio to this day i mean mm-hmm. you know Mi- minneapolis for the most part i mean why was i devoted to kqrs because it was the only consistent rock station in town there might be oh this summer you know wdgy or wlol or you know somebody is going to try and go more rock for the summer but they always gave up KQ was always there, always there. But at the same time, it was like, Christ, how many times do I have to listen to the doors? How many times do I have to listen to them play the Rolling Stones over again? How many, you know, and even during the time when stuff was exploding, like Scorpions and Rat and early Motley Crue, they wouldn't touch those bands. They wouldn't touch them except for putting them on their Saturday night metal show. Yeah, that was so, one thing. Again, in, in my band, we were played on some of the local shows as as well. Left 4 Dead was played on, on, uh, on 
one of the local shows here too. I mean, the fact that some of those things I know now, just because I do a little bit of research that, that they don't, those sorts of shows don't even exist on terrestrial radio and damn near no. every other market. And, the and fact that's that- the shift. That's the weird shift. Like I was saying earlier, I still would love to understand. I'm just going to have to start asking people, why do you get so excited when you hear Sweet Child of Mine? For fuck's sake, if I never hear but, that song again. But, you know, Tommy, Doug nailed it. You're a music freak. And, and yeah. all three of us, and probably most of our listeners are music freaks. We aren't the audience. We don't matter i mean i keep yeah. going back to when i booked the, the the rock club just north of here yeah you know we true. tried we tried for a year to bring in original artists everything from you know winger and la guns and blue oyster cult and quiet riot and you know the, they would come in and sell 250 300 tickets on their own and we'd bring in a, a cover band that would play all of the hits by those bands mm-hmm. and they'd sell the place out because the new music audience wants to hear what they know, what they recognize. And especially when you've got bands that might only be known for one or two hits. Um, is it worth buying a concert ticket just to go hear one song, two songs, unless you're, well, that's you're not why a hairball, That's why hairball is doing hairball. So well. Hairball is a, yeah. Perfect, Perfect example, example. of yes. a band that is tapped into this new market of people who go, mm-hmm. yeah, I love all those bands Hairball plays, Yep, but I only like one or two songs from each of them. So you come and play all those one or two songs, you get my ticket money because I know for a fact I will leave the end of the night hearing Happy. 1520 of the hit songs that I grew up listening to. Mike, I had this conversation with somebody today. Um, As you guys know, I've I've talked about it. I I play in a a Ted Nugent tribute band. And we're playing with a Bob Seger tribute band um, at a thing called Michigan Rocks, whatever, festival or whatever. It's at an amphitheater. Uh, a small, it's granted, it's a small amphitheater. It's still an amphitheater. It's not even at a little club. We're playing this weekend. And I was talking to my buddy and I'm like, you know, bands that play all originals, like my, my you know, like Left for Dead. At, since post COVID, like they don't even want anybody who plays original right, songs. Right, right. So that's what makes that even more tough. You know, I'm like, you know, I, and, and look, I, I do music just because it's fun and I love it. No different than collecting, you know, um, it's what makes me happy. And, you know, I do things that make me happy. But it was weird because there used to be lots of clubs here that welcomed original bands with open arms. They can't make play. money. They can't stay open. Yeah, but well, like, even- like what, the, the problem is there's no following. Anymore. There's no fo- there's no following. I mean, you know, as as Doug pointed out radio is all about selling advertising so they have to play the music that's going to sell the advertising these clubs make their money selling liquor the bar 
the concession is where they make they don't even necessarily make money selling the tickets well unless it's, you... it's sell it's selling the beer so if you can only draw 200 people that bar owner is going to go all right i know on 200 people here's how much i'm going to sell in beer tonight if i can sell a thousand tickets here's how much beer i'm going to sell tonight he's got to pay employees he's got to pay rent he's got to pay insurance at the end of the day somebody's going to sit down and go we if we keep playing original music we're going to go out of business in the next six months and we want to keep our doors open we got to change but here's my argument okay why does it amuse guns and roses example most people that like those Guns N' Roses songs know at least a handful of Guns N' Roses songs. So please play You Could Be Mine and Mr. Brownstone and just give the other ones a rest, you know? And if you're an 80s rock fan, hair band, you're going to know at least three, if not four Cinderella songs or a couple of Britney Fox songs or whatever. All, all I'm saying is, is like with the Rolling Stones and KQ, the Rolling Stones have to have at least a dozen, if not two dozen songs that most casual rock fans know from Paint It Black to Start Me Up to all these different ones, but they see, keep playing the same freaking five over and over and over you're a music freak tommy you're a music freak yeah i know you i mean i i I agree (sighs) with you i think we all agree it's just not the reality it you know and and to to doug's point again research that radio does today really nails it they know exactly what they're finding out so if they're playing only two songs by guns and roses it's it's because it's because that 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 accurate research is saying these are the only ones that the people want to hear. If they hear the other one, we risk having them losing them. They'll change and and change the channel to the crosstown station. Mm -hmm. And they can't risk that. They can't. So you, you know, and, and, and I get this from bands all the time. They're like, you know, why can't we've got a great brand new song that would sound great on a classic rock AOR station. Why can't we get played? I go, listen, Def Leppard can't get their new music played on a classic rock station. Why do you think a classic rock station is going to take the chance on a band that's never been heard of before? Right. Mike, there's you a know? song, there's a song by Deep Purple called MTV. And Gillen in the lyrics does this thing in the middle. It's it, it's one of those, it's almost like uh the christine 16 part where gene talks he talks in the middle and he does the oh mr gilly you know he pronounces his name wrong oh you have this out um oh really i uh, hear smoke on the water you know and, and it's like the whole gist of the song is why even fucking bother because you're not gonna play it the only reason you're even talking to us is because we're playing in the you know the local amphitheater and the minute we're fucking gone you're not going to want to hear any of our, our new stuff. And that as a music fan drives me up the wall because I could make a list of cheap tricks. A great example. Tommy knows exactly what I'm talking about. There's the records. They still put are as good as they ever did. I mean, they're great. Mm-hmm. Those and I'm are like, great. I know when I'm sitting there going, how come this isn't like no one cares. It just, it drives me crazy. I, I, I mean, we, we, we hear this from like Gene and Paul and all bands. They're like, 
you know, we can stand on the stage and when we play one of our newer, more recently released songs, you can hear, you can see the audience sit down, head to the doors to get the beer. And then when you play the hit again, everybody's back up and excited. And they're like, why play the deeper cuts, the more obscure tune when we know exactly what's going to happen? Yep. The people don't want that. They want to hear hit. And 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 listen, we're speaking to an audience of Kiss diehard fans. We are, as Kiss diehards, we're freaks. We don't represent the majority of the people at a Kiss concert. True. I, I and, and I get that. I'm just thinking like with bands, when there's all of these choices, for instance, for local bands, if I go to any one of them, if, they, if this was a Friday night, most of them will be playing the same exact set list. And that's the piece I just don't quite understand. Because for me, like I said, again, with the Rolling Stones, there's so many songs to pick from that most even casual uh, listeners would know. But again, this is, this is something that I just don't understand. It's like math. Hey, I, 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 I hate about, it like you. Oh, there's one thing that Doug talked about that I thought it was funny. I just found out today Buck Cherry's coming back to my part of the state again in October. Oh, so you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, um, no, but, your but collection again? What, what they're doing is old school. That's now within, six months time they're gonna be in the detroit area three times yeah my, my point is it's it's road work you know but that really is road work they're working I mean? their ass off yeah yes those guys are busting their ass um yeah i just saw that they're going to be in a new club in rochester michigan so last time they were here they're in woodhaven which is south of detroit and uh, a couple months back they were in you know at the, at the casino in detroit and if you really want to count, they were also up in Mount Pleasant, which, but that's north of Detroit. Um, or so that would be like four times, four Detroit shows in a year or Michigan shows in a year. And that's very much what Kiss you to. That's how the Kiss broke. They play at Port Huron, Flint, Saginaw. You know, go back and play look everywhere that will have you. Yes, yes. I mean, that's how you break a band. But I'm thinking with a band like Guns or a band like Buck Cherry, that's how you just stay on the road. You know, when you're hoping right. that yep. some that's people how you stay like, relevant. Yes. Hopefully and you guys should go out and buy 10 of their latest records. Oh, so good. Oh. Yes. So and, and the one before it, uh, Hellbound. Hellbound. Just, yeah, just phenomenal. That's the whole see, Tommy, because you and I are both geeks, and I say that probably we Hell guys, yeah, brother. Those records are fucking awesome. Buy them, listen to them, you'll dig them. And I just don't understand why people stop wanting new music. I just, it's, there's to me, one of the greatest joys in life is when you're, you know, like mowing the yard and you're listening to music. And then this one song comes on that you're not that familiar with on a new record. And all of a sudden it just hits you. And the next thing you know, you're playing it five times in a row because you just love it so much. And that's exactly how I feel still to this day with a lot of different artists as they release music and Buck Cherry just being one of them. I mean, no more lies. I listened to that thing fucking five, six times. No more lies. No more no lies. lies. We, 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 we just are not the music buying and listening yeah audience today yep. of today i mean yep. and and that's and it's mainly because of our age we've grown up 
we used, you know, we used to be that audience decades ago when we were kids. But again, there was a lot less distractions back then. I mean, you know, before cable TV and internet existed and video games, music was it. Music and sports were it. That was kind of it. You either you either stayed in and played board games. You didn't really watch TV. There were only three channels, and it was network TV, and your parents controlled the TV anyway. You were and the remote. <laughs> you were the remote. So, it, you know, it was board games. It was listening to music. It was playing outside. You know, that was that was it. Now, I mean, you know, you sit here and we're recording this and, you know, I've got distractions coming in on my cell phone and I've got an iPad that's sending me messages. And, you know, it sucks, but it's just the way things have changed. You know, it's just it's way the music climate is. And 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 I guess I would end that with if you are upset, it's changed really try to embrace something like Spotify for your music because you can find so much new music that you've never been exposed to, never even heard of through these streaming services. If you work with them and give them the chance to learn your music listening preferences, they will do what radio used to do. Fair enough. Um, so homework. I, so who, who in our listening audience has, has uh, grown up or still listens to Doug Podell? I'd like to, that'd be an interesting question to find out. Um, and how do you, how do you discover your music? You know, do you do you discover music through radio? Do you discover music through YouTube, through friends, through streaming services? I, I, you know, I want to go a step further with that, Mike. Do you still? Because I do. I mentioned it. Do you still, to this day, would would you listen to a podcast just because it's a DJ that you grew up with that you liked? You couldn't, you loved the in-between songs just as much as you did the songs because they were so entertaining and they were so smart musically. Would, would you listen to a podcast of to that guy now? I'm just curious if, if there's I, I, any I, DJs I, that, that, that hit you like that. I, I would, as long as the DJ is talking about music. And the music I grew up listening to him play on the radio. If the DJ went off and was like talking about, you know, barbecuing or something like that, that I'm not interested in. But what if it's really good barbecue? (laughs) It's good meatloaf. Yes. Um, I, I would, because part of what I always loved about radio and DJs, especially at night when I'd go to bed as a kid and I'd, set my radio, you know, the timer to turn off in an hour, I'd fall asleep. I'd fall asleep listening to that comforting voice that I know. 
And I'd wake up in the morning listening to a different comforting voice that I knew. So there's something comforting about that voice that has always been there. Um, But if I was going to listen to a new podcast, it still have to be, the content would have to be something that's interesting to me. Not just because of the person. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, do the first part, don't we? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think people would listen to us if we just started talking like a cooking show, just because how great we are as personalities. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. They're going to be going. Yeah. Fucking personalities. They're a fucking bunch of tools. Um, That's your homework. Talk to us about this topic in radio. And uh, that's it. We will see everybody next week. Do you have something to say? Leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515-VOICES for three sides of the coin. Provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.